0: Welcome back to Ride On. I'm James Gross, and I'm joined by Jimmy Stanley, the founder and CEO of Sole Bicycles, out of Venice Beach.
1: Jimmy, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, James. Thank you for having me. Excited to uh, excited to chat with you today.
0: Great, great. And I appreciate you being Jimmy, and I could be James, so we're not both yeah. Jameses on the, the pod, and maybe that would cause confusion. So
1: yeah, um, well, it, that, <laughs> that
0: works. But it's also it's also James Stanley as well. Um, so uh, Jimmy, let's take it back. Uh, you've you've been doing some amazing work in the micro mobility space uh, for really a, a very long time. Uh, so we, I think the audience would love to hear the backstory of Soleil Bicycles and how it came to be all the way back in 2009. Um, and let's just let's go through the journey. So let's start 2009. Then what were you what were you thinking when
1: you when you wanted to start your company? Totally. Yeah. So uh, back then I was in college and. Uh, really the, the idea was, it was just a class project for one of our business plan classes. So at the time we saw these New York fixie riders, um, and like, you know, 2009, 2010 era, right. And these guys were building these bikes piece by piece. And it was like, you know, a thousand to $2,000 for these, one of these bikes. As broke college students, we were like, we really wanted one of these bikes, but we couldn't afford it. So the, uh, the original concept was how do we make an all in one bike? For a fraction of the cost, right? Sell something for two, three hundred bucks. Um, so we did this as a business plan for one of our classes, and our professor was like, "Hey, this is a really good idea. You guys should go do this business plan competition that I've, you know, that that I've heard of." And at the time, it was this, it was being done by a little company called Alibaba. Um, and so we we go to this business plan competition. We win the competition and win a twenty five thousand dollar grant, and that we take that twenty five thousand and. Um, you know, the Alibaba flies us over to Asia to work on our first, you know, help us find a source to develop our first product. And then we take the balance of the cash and do our first order of bikes. You know, I think it was a 20 foot container with, you know, 150 bikes, give or take, we had them shipped actually to our frat house. Uh, and then we were just like hustling right out of the house, you know, the kids on campus and sold that first round of bikes. Took that month, took the profits, bought a second round, got a three PL, and we we're off to the races. Amazing. Okay, so um,
0: started in college, uh, you know, not quite in the garage. It sounds like maybe in the frat house. Um, and uh, what was it? What was it like to work with Alibaba in 2009 as a college student? Like, were you working with um, directly with people in in China, or was this people I worked in, in the US offices? I'm 2009. I'm not even sure if they had US offices at that time. So yeah, curious what that was like.
1: Yeah. No, I think like the, you know, again, this is so far back, right? For them, this was a marketing piece for them to try to break into the U.S. market and try to get some awareness around them as a sourcing business. Right. And so, yeah, we were dealing directly with people in China and they, you know, connected us with a source that someone that was making bikes, not specifically fixy single speed style. uh, But, you know, we were able to work with them, create our first product. And yeah, it was like, really just got thrown in. You know, it was not it and it all happened so fast, right? Like we went from, you know, working with them, then Forbes caught wind of it and we won this award that was like coolest college startup of that year. And so from like a idea to like being featured on Forbes all happened within like, you know, less than 12 months. Right. And it really kicked things off for us. And were you able to get the price point out on the fixy single speed? Like the original intent of the business plan? Was that was that fulfilled? Yeah. I think our first I think our first bike we were selling for around uh 199 right i think it was landed give or take around 100 199 yeah and that was again you know <clears throat> uh what school was this that you're at uh i was at chapman university and my business partners were at usc university of southern california okay so you're at chapman and yep sure usc and uh how did the
0: how did the college kids in the west coast take to the fixie single speed i i agree with you i think that that feels like more of a, a new york city thing at that time, um, were the were the California kids into it as well, or was that was that kind of did you have to teach them that story, or was that was there already enough
1: single speed influence in California? <clears throat> yeah, I think what really attracted people to it were like the really bright colors, and like you know from the early days, we were we liked to ride bikes, but we didn't have like a background in like professionally riding or like competitive riding or anything like that. And actually, my partners and I, we all had backgrounds in music, art, fashion. And so when we were designing the products, you can go on our site, you can see our product now. The colors and the simplicity of the design was such an emphasis from the early days. And so those really loud, bright, fun fun colors really helped sell the product. People were really attracted to the design and not necessarily just because it was a single speed or fixie style bike, right? Just because of the design and look of it. So really, I think that's what helped us break into this market and get some traction gotcha and you know i mean again it's the the colors yeah And you
0: go to we go on your website you definitely see that the the artistry side of of, of you all uh, comes up quite a bit um but you know we had uh we just put out the interview i did with levi conlow from electric bikes we now sells more electric bikes in america than anyone else and you know i think what levi is so religious about is the cost and getting the cost down and passing that cost um, the, the cost savings onto the consumer sounds like that is a big part of your story. At least to start was that I assume that one ninety nine price point, um, you know,
1: you I'm, that's got to be the cheapest game in town or close to the cheapest game in town for these kids. Yeah, I mean, when we were when we were selling at that price, that was totally the the cheapest price, and that's still a big part of our business model. Being a direct to consumer brand, offering a really high quality product at a competitive price is. You know, really been the name of the game for us since the beginning. Um, You know, we've we've really relied on that as you know, selling direct through our website, selling direct through our retail stores. Um, The direct business has been really, really crucial for us. And again, you by offering that more competitive price, we may not necessarily have as much wholesale margin to sell in the bike shops or whatnot. So. That was by creating our own distribution versus going the more traditional route of selling into bike shops was another way that allowed us to sort of differentiate and um, you know separate ourselves from from the competitors.
0: Yeah, and so I mean, in, at this timing, two thousand ten or so, you're you're really like a pioneer on the DTC side um, in, in doing your business that way. So let's let's continue to go through the evolution. So you you know you're able to you're able to offload your first couple containers, um, you're able to sell them right out of your 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 dormitory. Um, where does it go from there? I assume at some point you graduate college. Maybe you don't graduate college um, with the business. Um, but take us through you know
1: 2010 and 11 and 12 and 13. Yeah, so business starts growing, and like I said, like we our first batch of bikes we were selling through the college campus, and um, then we set up a website, and we get this uh, we get this article within that year from Forbes calling us one of the coolest college startups of I think it was 2010. And a funny story around that, we, this this article goes live and we had a sort of makeshift website at the time. Um, and, but one of the things we didn't have was like, inventory control, very basic thing. Like it was just like, you could sell unlimited amounts of each of the SKUs, right? So this this article goes live and we, we do like a quarter million dollars in sales in like a few weeks, but we're selling bikes that we don't have. So yeah, so then we had like, and while our payment processing was through PayPal. And, and so we we ended up refunding, it was some, like $200,000 and PayPal called us just like, what the hell are you guys doing? Like, we've never seen someone refund this much money. So then that sort of helped us be like, okay, we got to like have a scalable way of doing this. And we were actually one of the first, I think it was like first 1000 companies on Shopify. And so set up our Shopify store. Yeah. Yeah. Shopify early days, We got I mean, we, we played that one right, right? Because now they're really the marquee sort of go-to e-commerce platform. Um, <clears throat> but we were on one of the like first 1,000 stores on Shopify, built the website, built all the correct controls to really make this like a direct-to-consumer business. And again, I think that was just like a byproduct of the time we were in, right? Like social media was really growing and like the ability to build businesses on social media was an idea that was like really starting to take win. And then like, the ability to market via Facebook, Instagram, and Google really was something that was starting to happen. And so we were like, again, we, we came into this business. It was just a timing thing. like These things were all happening. We were able to leverage them and get success. And that like, that's kind of how we further developed the business. And so yeah, we graduated school and we, mo- we all moved to Venice Beach and we're all being in from Southern California because to us, Venice Beach was like the cultural hub of California where you have art, music, fashion, you have entrepreneurs you have crazy people you have like all this mix of culture that we thought was like super important you know a great landing spot for the brand to be based out of right um and, and again for us like we were we all had backgrounds in art music and fashion and not necessarily bikes and so that was like really inspired us when we designed the product right was, Like, where do we want the brand to be based and how do we want to design the brand um and for us it was like a bicycle for many people, is something that's really just gets them from point A to point B. But for us, our approach was like, hey, it could be more than that. It could be something that inspires you, that's a extension of you, right? Um, you can relate to it. And and you'll see in our site with the different fix tapes that we do, which is like a monthly mixtape that we partner with different DJs from around the world of what that DJ wants to listen to if they're going to do an hour-long bike ride, right? Like we do our fix tape series, our Cruising USA series, our collaborations with brands from all over the world. So really the focus was like be someone that's cultural, culturally rev, relevant and then leverage that to really develop a, a brand around the product that's different than other bike brands. Okay. So you're doing that and um, so you got like in terms of the the tool,
0: So you graduated from school, in terms of the tool stack, you're, you're early to Shopify, which again, ni- nice platform bet there, winning bet. Sounds like, um, it's funny because Forbes, do you think like this very traditional publisher back in the day that probably could drive a lot of traffic, doesn't seem to drive as much anymore, but drive a lot of traffic for you to get those those, you know, some of those big early sales and how, how important, so you, and then you get into Venice, you're at the cultural hub of California, which is in many ways the cultural hub for a lot of mobility movements in general um, through, through the, the decades. Um, yeah, curious uh, on like how important was social to you uh, at the time? So 2011, 12, 13, 14, is Facebook the big channel, I would assume, if so, how big versus the more traditional coverage like the Forbes coverage.
1: Yeah, I think in those early days, we were really focused on building our social presence. Instagram, I think, was the most uh, important or biggest driver for us. Um, so organically, we were growing our Instagram. When
0: did that start? Sorry for you.
1: Uh, I would say, I mean, that what was, was like th- the first big
0: year for you for sales with Instagram.
1: I, I can't, I can't think of a year that per se like it jumped. It was, it was a natural growth from the early days, because again, in like 2009, 2010, that's when Instagram started to become relevant, right? Like Facebook, you were, it was sort of starting to peak out and then Instagram comes in and gets bought by Facebook. And that was really like the cool thing from like the early 2010s. And so we were just building our brand organically on Instagram. And then, you know, shortly thereafter, I want to say like 2013, 14, 15 is when like they introduced their paid platform, right? And back then in the early days of the Facebook, Instagram paid platform, it was like, it was like the wild west, right? You put, you put a dollar in, you get 10 bucks back. And it was, people didn't understand retargeting people. People, you're putting ads out there and people just like, people are calling me like, I'm seeing your ads in this place or I see you on, you know, on NBC.com, which was like kind of display network type stuff. And like, it was just so new and it was just working so well, you know? So we were just we would just follow the money, right? Like put money in, get money back and just scale. Um, and so, yeah, again, that was just like right time, right place. It doesn't work like that anymore, right? It is so much more challenging to grow a brand and scale with paid marketing. It's just extremely, extremely, extremely competitive these days. Uh, but back then, again, it was just the wild west and there was just not many people doing it. And so if you had a, you know, if you had a good product, you could really scale with that.
0: Yeah, let's, I don't want to fast forward too much, but one question I have sort of on the present is, do you see any networks or platforms that have some of that, uh, you know, lack of a better term, arbitrage on marketing that you had in Instagram in the, you know, 2013 through 16 timeframe? Like, is TikTok like that for you today? Or is there anything that's, WhatsApp, I don't know, anything that's from a marketing channel perspective as return heavy? I've heard the story quite a few times about Instagram and, and Facebook, but i curious if there's
1: anything out there today that that
0: reflects what you got back then.
1: This day and age, I think like the, we, we don't see it on TikTok. I mean, we we haven't had a, a success on TikTok um, and nothing like what it used to be. I mean, really this, you know, and if, if I were going to make a recommendation to anyone else that's running a e-mobility or bicycle type brand, it's like you can leverage Facebook, Instagram, TikTok to get those initial impressions, but you're going to see your best return by having a super strong middle of funnel strategy, right? With email, with text message. I mean, I got into text message like two years ago because one of our agencies was pitching us. And I was like, there's no way someone's going to buy a bike through text. I was like, that's crazy. But they like convinced me to give it a shot. They gave us a really good deal on trying it. Now, like last click attribution, text message is like 20% of our sales online, you know? And so really you got to think about like a, a, A product like a bicycle or a scooter, one of these higher, higher intent type purchases and, you know, like something that's multiple thousands of dollars, the consumer is going to take a lot of time thinking about the purchase, doing their research, like making sure they're picking the right product. And so as a brand, you need to have a really strong middle of funnel, email, text message, like continue to hit them and stay top of mind so that when they are ready to purchase, you're top of mind and you've stayed on top of them throughout that process. there's not a lot of paid marketing that just like converts sales out of the gate like they used to. I, a, there's just not. So, so let's also talk about the, you know, so clearly you got the fixy single speed,
0: you had the 199 price point to start. How, what, when, when do you start to go up market? When do you start to sell more types of vehicles than just the single speed? Um, and actually start to charge more money too. Just curious how that, mm-hmm. what that evolution looked like and, you know, what maybe your advisors were telling you or people around you were like, hey, you know, Jimmy, you got to do this too. Like, I'm just curious how you moved out of the, just the single speed market as you, as you had more success.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, from the single speed, we slowly just developed more products that we were seeing in our local market that we thought made sense, right? We went into like a, you know, Dutch style and like city cruiser style bike that was, you know, for the person that didn't wanna have such an aggressive ride, something more casual, but still light and easy to use like the single speed. We came out with just a traditional beach cruiser, as well, because that's just a, a, a you know very massive market for us here in the beach. And then also when we opened our USC store, that was like the main bike that people rode around at USC. Um, went into multiple speeds of the city bike and the Dutch. Um, again, this is a natural sort of evolution of saying, "Hey, what does the market want in our area?" Um, and you know, then we just slowly kind of built based on what our consumers were telling us. And then this year, you know, granted it's been about. 13 years we just you know finally just came out with our first electric bike um and the thing was you know we've been thinking about electric for probably five six years i think we were just you know design is such an important part of our aesthetic and the brand and we were just having so much so many challenges trying to find or design or or find a partner that could help us make a bike that kept that really sleek minimalist design aesthetic to an electric bike you know uh, the early days of electric bikes had these like big battery packs coming off the back or the battery pack you know attached to the frame and it's just we couldn't make it work where we felt comfortable with the design aesthetic so we were extremely pa- patient in the development and and coming to market with an electric bike but now you know this this first one we brought brought out i think really aligns with that kind of design simplistic aesthetic and then we're also working on four other electric bikes that all are within Line of our previous products, but also from a look and design aesthetic, are aligned with the brand as well. Okay, so yeah, I mean, this is the big this is the big moment for us. Like you've you've released the e 24. We added
0: it at like America a couple of weeks ago. It's really fun to ride. Really, I mean, <laughs> it to get to get many ways it speaks to a lot of things that you're saying. Um, I guess one question there is like why why did it take so long? You've been in the business forever. You've had the Chinese supply chains forever. You've had the marketing DTC channels for so long. Did, was there a lot of pressure to go electric? Were people kind of getting on you about this given it clearly is a graze, you know, the, the, the e-bike sales are enormous um, versus more acoustic style and potentially better better margins? Um, in many ways, I think it seems you're very contrarian for taking this this long. Um, what were the main reasons why you waited this long to, to launch the first vehicle? I mean, it sounds like, of course, you wanted to get it right, um, but I'm I'm, I'm just a little surprised you couldn't have got it right earlier given the design background, given the connections to the supply chain, um, you know,
1: what, what were some of the other things potentially holding you back? Yeah. I think, you know, to be completely honest, probably the, it, the biggest factors weren't necessarily because we didn't want to get it live. I would say from like 2019 until today, the, 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 the bike economy and the economy in general was so challenging that it was just our bandwidth internally was so spread thin with dealing with 2019 to 2020, the explosion in demand, inability to get supply, right? 2020, 2021, finally getting supply, but then dealing with the crazy supply chain issues where containers went from $1,000 to 20000 within a multi-month period. And then 2021, 2022, 2023, the massive reduction in demand or correction in demand, since you had that spike in 2020, 2021, now there's a dampering and a correction happening. So <clears throat> it wasn't that I would say it could have been done sooner, but we've just, these have been like unprecedented, like crazy, um, super challenging years since basically like 2019. Because I would say from like 2020 to 2019, we saw a consistent sort of demand. We saw consistent growth. Like the the business was what I would call stable, and then since 2019, it has been a roller coaster.
0: Yeah, it's it, it's going to be interesting to see how history looks at it. But there's a there's potentially a very good analysis that says it was just best to miss that that all that entire period and actually launch in you know, 2023 um, because it does seem like the while of course there was opportunity, the toll it's taken on a lot of companies to go through the. The, that roller coaster that you just explained um can have some lasting effects on companies that of course we've you know we reported that on that a little bit um but i still think that's kind of coming out in the wash exactly how much damage was done because of that roller coaster um would you say now 2023 and on with the e24 which is it sounds like you got other models coming is the future of soleil electric um we still have one foot in uh, you know what we call acoustic um or any bike I'm going to buy from Soleil in 2024 and beyond is going to be going to come with an electric trajectory. <clears throat>
1: yeah. I, I would say we are investing heavily in electric and we are going to, you know, follow down that path and see where it takes us. You know, I don't think that we'll ever completely pull away from acoustic bikes. You know, that's the footing and the core of the brand. And we still have really strong demand, not only on our consumer business, direct to consumer business, but also our wholesale and private label and, you know, hotel business for the acoustic style bike. So I don't think that we would ever fully pull out of that. But, you know, naturally if, if that channel grows to a point where that becomes a majority of our business, like we just have to follow our demand and where the money takes us. Um, but, you know, again, we were built on an acoustic style bike and, you know, that, that I think is always going to be at the core of the business. And even like the single, single speed fixie style bike that we started the business with is still our number one seller on the direct to consumer side. So I, I think that's always going to be at the heart of Oh, that's the interesting. Yeah, that makes
0: sense. um That makes a lot of sense. Uh, in terms of like, so again, we didn't really cover it yet, but like a lot of what's so interesting about your business, I think how you grew it and I think it speaks to a lot of the zeal of, of an entrepreneur that you are, uh, you know, you, you sell, of course, single speed, you sell all of these acoustic bikes um, to DTC um, but you also have. Uh, a very solid business in selling fleet sales to hotels, um, and of course, as you mentioned earlier, but like you know, you also sell to the universities. Like you have a store at the University of Southern California, which is uh, maybe you know you're the only person I know with a bike store at USC, which is, is pretty interesting. Um, and then you know you go on your website, you also do um, you know you have Sole Sports and some of the the ways that you think about cobra and offerings there. Um, how do you do so many different things? Uh, just curious there. And what you, what's your motto on that? Where like you have a lot of people to say, hey, I'm going to be one channel. And I'm going to do one thing really well. It um, seems like you really, you're really really spread out and you're selling to a lot of different types of customers. Like I assume the university and the um, mm-hmm. hotels really like a B2B relationship that you got there. B2B type sales motion versus the DTC with how you sell the consumers, the fixies and even your new electric bikes. Uh, just curious how you do all that and how you think about that and uh, as a, As an entrepreneur, like, is that something you're here to continue to do? Will you continue to go into new markets or would you rather consolidate more? Um, Yeah, just just curious on your strategy there.
1: Sure. Yeah. I think in the early days, you know, it was, we started selling direct to consumer. That was like where the business kicked off. And we just, as hustlers or just as the nature of who we were, we sort of followed the money as wherever it would come. And, you know, the B2B kind of wholesale private label stuff was just a, a derivative of, you know, we had hotels reach out to us and say, hey, we, we love this style and the look of your product. Can you make us custom branded bikes for our hotels, right? After getting a few of those deals, it was like, hey, okay, let's figure out how we can scale that or create a more formal offering um, for these hotels, right? And that's built into like over 400 hotels across the U.S. have our product. And then in Southern California alone, we do a hotel sales and service business. We're actually servicing the product for those hotels in the Southern California area or a subset of them. Um, and then similar, like we had again, uh, because our products are simplistic and clean looking, we had like vitamin cocoa or vita- vitamin water. One of the coconut water brands, one of the water beverage brands back in like 2000 Fenris shout to us and wanted like a co-branded bicycle gave us like a hundred bike order. And we're just like, okay, there's it's real business, right? Like how can we scale that? So how do we create a formal offering and process to you know, sell to these brands, whether it's just like a co-branded partnership, that's like a marketing partnership or actually creating, you know, a large scale amount of product for these brands. And so really it was just following the money as it came. But then also just what I found is if you go, you have to be diversified in your distribution, right? You know, um, because if you just go one channel, then you're sort of locked, you're kind of, you're, you're at risk to that channel. If that channel goes down and you don't have a diversified, And that could be like, it goes down from a seasonality standpoint or it goes down from a sort of a larger economy, you know, shakeup standpoint. If you're all, if all your eggs are in one basket, you're leaving yourself extremely exposed. And so we just found in the early days, having a diversified distribution has really saved us many, many times. And then they also sort of support themselves, right? Like, you know, the online marketing that we do for direct business stirs up more of these partnership and corporate type businesses. Our retail stores in venice and usc they do business for us you know as like sales in the bike shop service in the bike shop but then those the guys in the shop guys and gals in the shop they also do customer service for our direct consumer business we can do reworks for our custom business out of there so actually the, the retail stores become these massive value driving hubs for us that as a standalone business probably doesn't make sense but when you layer in all these other pieces of value driving things that support the other distribution channels and it becomes much more valuable to us, right? Um so it's just it was a product of, you know, being diversified. We're dealing with a seasonal business naturally, right? Like bicycle sales kind of peak March through September, and then drop off. So having other ways of driving revenue in those down months. And then just, you know, really following the money as it came in. Yeah, it makes it totally makes sense. And it, on the B2B sales, the hotels and
0: mm-hmm. Other things like are you how do you do those sales? Do you have a sales team or are you doing them all yourself? Or what's that? what's that more field sales approach look like? Clearly you get the halo, it sounds like, from the direct D C business and the advertising. Maybe it's so get some of that inbound, but still probably I assume it's a little bit of a hand-to-hand type sales motion. Um just cur- I'm, I'm sure a lot of people out listening are
1: curious how you get those sales done. Yeah. I mean, we get we do a lot of marketing through our direct to consumer space that gets us a lot of inbound leads. We do have a sort of team in-house that's focusing on growing that, right? And, you know, whether it's just getting on the phone and calling these hotels or just driving more leads for us, and then just having a, you know, formal process internally of how to, you know, sell these deals once we get in front of the right person, and how to create the best offering for them and make the sale as easy as possible, make it make the most sense. Um, but you know, yeah, I would say our direct marketing is the biggest driver of these leads, you know, our direct marketing, which. When I say gotcha. direct marketing- Okay, so
0: that's just the halo of the direct marketing. Yep, correct, correct. Um, and then in terms of like, again, you got you have a good touch point of the university store, and I assume you talk to a lot of university students because of that, and you get a lot of feedback from university students. Um, clearly, they're most likely on more of the cutting edge of a lot of trends uh, of demand because they're just, you know, like like a lot of kids are younger, and they're, they're absorbing culture, and they're, they're helping actually influence culture. Any trends you see there at the at the university level that you think maybe will, will play out um, or demand or um, that's any different than your Venice
1: store or just the more broader market that you're reaching? Anything the kids want that, again, the rest of the world just doesn't know about yet? And I promise I'm not saying this because I'm on a micro mobility podcast, but what we've actually seen over the last five years is acoustic bike sales are declining. And then like electric scooters and electric bikes are <clears throat> growing i don't know if that's just specific to the that campus but i mean we've just we've seen that uh, just a total change in the five years of running that shop like it's it's the, the demand is drastically falling for acoustic bikes there and then we've had to replace it with like bird style electric scooters more price point electric style bikes because again the 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 consumer at a college campus is very price sensitive just like we were when we started our our business right um and so price point electric products have really right, are growing and the acoustic products are are declining interesting and all the scooter side is a good that's a good insight I' wouldn't, I was
0: even thinking about with your store how, how how important are scooters for you at your university
1: store and how important do you think they will be in the future vis-a-vis the the, the bikes it's it's just a supplementary product I would say like it makes up less than 10% of the like uh you know we'll, we'll call it like the product sales of like the you know a bike or the e-bike or a scooter it's it's probably less than 10% but it's it's growing and then it's also a product that we sell in our b2b business so we found a demand in that um i think it just aligns with the whole movement of the e-mobility there's just a lot of attraction around that it's just another piece of that puzzle you know piece of that offering that we're we're providing that makes sense um, and then maybe final question I think you've got a really good uh,
0: sense of like online marketing tech of course so we've talked a little bit about uh, sort of the the, the high the, the highest part of the funnel and um, you know Facebook ads and Instagram ads and others we talked a little bit about more mid 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 funnel activation like you mentioned text messaging and how much that's that's taken off for you are there other things out there newsletter or um, lower funnel activities that are Referral programs, maybe out of the university system or anything that like are super critical to your business. That so, like, again, maybe someone just wouldn't wouldn't think about or it's not common sense.
1: Sure, yeah, I think um, what's been an interesting tactic, especially for the electric bike, uh, is our referral program, uh, our affiliate program. So, you know, prior to the electric bike launching, we. Had maybe like three, four hundred affiliates. That's you know anyone can sign up on our website and become an affiliate. Um, the commission that these affiliates make on like a four hundred dollar bike is you know like maybe forty bucks a sale. Um, but we've actually you know when we launched electric bike on Instagram, we got I want to say over two hundred influencers reaching out trying to get a you know free electric bike for us, which obviously we can't be giving these away. The price is way too high. Um, But we developed an affiliate program where they actually, you know, put in a deposit and like if they make a certain amount of sales, they can keep the bike um, and drive, you know, and then also the commission they can make on a, you know, say, give or take 200 or $2,000, you know, sale is much more significant than like $400. So that's been an interesting uh, strategy that is, again, we've only been doing it for about a month, but I think is going to take wind and be a good piece of that acquisition strategy for us on the electric bike side um if for for the program you, we use Refersion, so you just google Refersion to, to see the sort of tech stack back end that plugs into shopify um but yeah that's been a a, a winner for us so far
0: yeah yeah that's good. that's a good point and yeah i mean the <clears throat> the giveaways on the electric bikes i assume you know you have to be you need to be choosy without and i it like I actually I've heard of it I haven't used it or anything that's a that's a good insight there um, all right so to end clearly you have the E24 out now people can go to Soleil Bicycles and, and 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 buy one today um, you mentioned you kind of teased out there are some other models but um, maybe let's fast forward uh, you know five years on your business like what do you what do you, what do you think are your best selling bikes how much of it is DTC versus other channels like the, the hotel channels. Um, Yeah. Like what do you, what do you think you're most known for in five years from now?
1: I think that, I think that all the marketing and branding and knowledge that we've built around building our direct to consumer brand with the acoustic bikes, I think we can amplify that and build, you know, an electric bike business, a really strong electric bike business with, with all that knowledge. And so I think five years from now, as we diversify our electric bike offering, um, I think that that is gonna be the majority of our business, the direct to consumer sales. Hopefully we can parlay, parlay that into some you know, B2B sales into bike shops and other like wholesale partners. Um, but again, I think the biggest driver is gonna be our direct to consumer just because that's where we have the most experience. Um, you know, to tease some of the products, I'd say the one I'm most excited about, you know, again, the single speed fixie style bike on our site, the one that's sort of our core product, we're gonna come out with an electric version of that that looks exactly like that, but it's electric, right? Integrated battery. It's also gonna have some really cool tech that no other um, e-bike on the market has. That's why it's taken us a bit longer to get it get it completed, but it's gonna have some cool tech around maintenance and um, and uh, after service. Because again, our advisors have told us, and our car- core focus when designing electric has been after service needs to be your number one um thought because you know you can you can sell the product but you're you're signing up for you know like a 10 year relationship with that customer right and so you need to make sure that the product is is extremely dialed that you also have all the pieces in place to service that and cost effectively service it right and uh, if you if you if you can't cost effectively service it when there's issues you're going to lose all your profit eventually right so whether it's replacing batteries or replacing oh yeah we know that story well yeah (laughs) yeah so
0: yeah totally no i know it's uh that's a definitely a big thing well i mean i think we're we're pumped to see more of your products jimmy i think you're i mean i think there's a there's a lot of inspiration i think a lot of people can take from you and you know there's just also no there's no denying what 14 years of building a business uh the, the the benefits you can hopefully draw from that as like you're still, you know, you still build a business in a modern era, right? You're the first 1,000 companies on on a tech stack like Shopify, um, but yet, you know, the the compounding nature of what you see in the market and uh, you know, build some Teflon on your business I think is really interesting. It allows you to to make these big bets and um, while also being like, you know, a nimble company. I think we've seen a lot of the really more traditional acoustic businesses struggle in a transition. Um, partly because they're much bigger, they're run by bankers, the founders are gone, like a lot of the soul has gone out of those businesses. Um, and I think you said it that, like like I talked to Swifty Scooters who won our startup awards last week out at the UK, like, you know, there's something to be said about founders in the business, the business is 10 or, 10 or 12 years old, um, and, you know, you're still, you know, sharp as a tack, and you've got tooling, and you've got the brand, and you've got the those years of just the scars which are, are really valuable scars to have uh, so it's fun to fun to watch businesses like yours because i think you have a, a really awesome chance to do amazing things for existing customers and then you know just of course reaching so many more people because we know there's you know we know there's demand for when many more vehicles to be bought than what are currently bought today but it's about culture it's about marketing it's about the right fit for the right person and um, you know i think i think you guys really have carved out a really nice uh, four factor in place for that. Um, and now, you know, it going to let the like, rest of the world know about it. Totally. Totally.
1: I appreciate all the kind comments, James, that, uh, that means a lot. And yeah, we, we're excited to continue to develop the business and, and put good products out there and, and, and learn more about the space, work with great people like you. Mm-hmm. You guys ran a great event that we were fortunate enough to go to two weeks ago. And, you know, we're, we're excited to continue to work with you guys in the future and go to all other us events, maybe some of your international ones. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's an exciting time for us and an exciting time for the micro mobility space. So thank you for, you know, giving us the microphone today to tell our story and helping grow this, grow this space that is going to be a, a big part of the bicycle alternative transportation industry going forward for the U S so. Yeah. Awesome. Of course. Yeah. Well, with that, I'd like to say ride on. Go check
0: out, uh, you can find Jimmy on LinkedIn. You can find his company, of course, at Um, And yeah, get yourself on one of those vehicles. They're, uh, they're fun. I've had a chance to ride them. So yeah, have a great
1: day, Jimmy. Thank you so much, James. Cheers, Cheers guys. guys.